Volume One, Chapter Eight of Clayhanger by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight in the Shop. Here, lad," said his father to Edwin, as soon as he had scraped up the last crumbs of cheese from his plate at the end of dinner on the following day. Edwin rose obediently and followed him out of the room. Having waited at the top of the stairs until his father had reached the foot, he leaned forward as far as he could with one hand on the rail and the other pressing against the wall, swooped down to the mat at the bottom without touching a single step on the way, and made a rocket-like noise with his mouth. He had no other manner of descending the staircase unless he happened to be in disgrace. His father went straight to the desk in the corner behind the account-book window, assumed his spectacles, and lifted the lid of the desk. Here, he said in a low voice, Mr. Enoch Peake is stepping in this afternoon to look at this here. He displayed the proof, an unusually elaborate wedding card, which announced the marriage of Mr. Enoch Peake with Mrs. Louisa Loggerheads. You know him, as I mean? Yes, said Edwin, the stout man. The Cocknidge Gardens man. That's him. Well, you'll tell him I've been called away. Tell him who ye are. Not but what he'll know. Tell him I think it might be better. Darius's thick finger ran along a line of print. If we put Widow of the Late Simon Loggerheads Esquire instead of ESQ. See? Otherwise it's all right. Tell him I say as otherwise it's all right. And ask him if he'll have it printed in silver and how many he wants, and show him this sample envelope. Now do you understand? Yes, said Edwin, in a tone to convey, not disrespectfully, that there was nothing to understand. Curious how his father had the air of bracing all his intellect as if to a problem. Then you'll take it to Big James, and he can start Chorna on it. The job's promised for Monday afternoon. Will Big James be working? asked Edwin, for it was Saturday afternoon when though the shop remained open the printing office was closed they're all on overtime said mr clayhanger and then he added in a voice still lower and with a surreptitious glance at miss ingamells the shopwoman who was stolidly enfolding newspapers in wrappers at the opposite counter see to it yourself now he won't want to talk to her about a thing like that tell him i told you specially just let me see how well you can do it right said edwin and to himself superciliously it might be life or death we ought to be doing a lot of business with enoch peake later on mr clayhanger finished in a whisper i see said edwin impressed perceiving that he had perhaps been supercilious too soon mr clayhanger returned his spectacles to their case and taking his hat from its customary hook behind him over the job files consulted his watch and passed round the counter to go then he stopped "'I'm going to Manchester,' he murmured confidentially, "'to see if I can pick up a machine as I've heard of.' Edwin was flattered. At the dinner-table Mr. Clayhanger had only vouchsafed that he had a train to catch, and would probably not be in till late at night. The next moment he glimpsed Darius through the window, his arms, motionless by his sides and sticking slightly out, hurrying in the sunshine along Wedgwood Street in the direction of Shawport Station. Part 2 so this was business it was not the business he desired and meant to have and he was uneasy at the extent to which he was already entangled in it 
but it was rather amusing and his father had really been very friendly he felt a sense of importance soon afterwards clara ran into the shop to speak to miss ingamells the two chatted and giggled together father's gone to manchester he found opportunity to say to clara as she was leaving why aren't you doing those prizes he told you to do retorted clara and vanished she wanted none of edwin's superior airs during dinner mr clayhanger had instructed his son to go through the sunday school prize stock and make an inventory of it this injunction from the child clara which miss ingamells had certainly overheard prevented him as an independent man from beginning his work for at least ten minutes he whistled opened his father's desk and stared vacantly into it examined the pen-nib case in detail and tore off two leaves from the date calendar so that it should be ready for monday he had a great scorn for miss ingamells who was a personable if somewhat heavy creature of twenty-eight because she kept company with a young man he had caught them arm in arm and practically hugging each other one sunday afternoon in the street he could see naught but silliness in that kind of thing the entrance of a customer caused him to turn abruptly to the high shelves where the books were kept he was glad that the customer was not mr enoch peake the expectation of whose arrival made him curiously nervous he placed the stepladder against the shelves climbed up and began to finger volumes and parcels of volumes the dust was incredible the disorder filled him with contempt it was astounding that his father could tolerate such disorder no doubt the whole shop was in the same condition thirteen archie's old desk he read on a parcel but when he opened the parcel he found seven from jest to earnest hence he had to undo every parcel however the work was easy he first wrote the inventory in pencil then he copied it in ink then he folded it and wrote very carefully on the back because his father had a mania for endorsing documents in the legal manner inventory of sunday school prize stock and after an instant's hesitation he added his own initials then he began to tie up and restore the parcels and the single volumes none of all this literature had any charm for him he possessed five or six such books all gilt and chromatic which had been awarded to him at sunday school suitably inscribed for doing nothing in particular and he regarded them without exception as frauds upon boyhood however clara had always enjoyed reading them but lying flat on one of the top shelves he discovered nearly at the end of his task an oblong tome which did interest him casanova's architectural views of european capitals with descriptive letterpress it had an old-fashioned look and was probably some relic of his father's predecessor in the establishment another example of the lack of order which prevailed part three he took the volume to the retreat of the desk and there turned over its pages of coloured illustrations at first his interest in them and in the letterpress was less instinctive than deliberate he said to himself now if there is anything in me i ought really to be interested in this and i must be interested in it and he was he glanced carelessly at the clock which was hung above the shelves of exercise books and notebooks exactly opposite the door a quarter past four the afternoon was quietly passing and he had not found it too tedious in the background of the task which he considered he had accomplished with extraordinary efficiency 
his senses noted faintly the continual trickle of customers all of whom were infallibly drawn to miss ingamel's counter by her mere watchful and receptive appearance he had heard phrases and ends of phrases such as no we haven't anything smaller a camel hair brush gum but not glue very sorry sir i'll speak firmly to the paper boy and the sound of coins dragged along the counter the sound of the testing of half a sovereign the opening and shutting of the till drawer and occasionally miss ingamel's exclaiming to herself upon the stupidity of customers after a customer had gone and once miss ingamel's crossing angrily to fix the door ajar which some heedless customer had closed did they suppose that people didn't want air like other people and now it was a quarter past four undoubtedly he had a peculiar and pleasant feeling of importance in another half minute he glanced at the clock again and it was a quarter to five what hypnotism attracted him towards the artist's materials cabinet which stood magnificent complicated and complete in the middle of the shop like a monument his father after one infantile disastrous raid had absolutely forbidden any visitation of that cabinet with its glass case of assorted paints crayons brushes and pencils and its innumerable long drawers full of paper and cards and wondrous perfectly equipped boxes and t-squares and set-squares with a hundred other contrivances but of course the order had now ceased to have force edwin had left school and if he was not a man he was certainly not a boy he began to open the drawers at first gingerly then boldly after all it was no business of miss ingamel's and to be just miss ingamel's made no sort of pretence that it was any business of hers she proceeded with her own business edwin opened a rather large wooden water-colour box it was marked five and sixpence it seemed to comprise everything needed for the production of the most entrancing and majestic architectural views and as edwin took out its upper case and discovered still further marvellous devices and apparatus in its basement beneath he dimly but passionately saw in his heart bright masterpieces that ought to be the fruit of that box there was a key to it he must have it he would have given all that he possessed for it if necessary part four miss ingamel's he said and as she did not look up immediately i say miss ingamel's how much does father take off in the shilling to auntie when she buys anything don't ask me master edwin said miss ingamel's i don't know how should i know well then he muttered i shall pay full price for it that's all he could not wait and he wanted to be on the safe side miss ingamel's gave him change for his half-sovereign in a strictly impartial manner to indicate that she accepted no responsibility and the squaring of edwin's shoulders conveyed to miss ingamel's that he advised her to keep carefully within her own sphere and not to make impertinent inquiries about the origin of the half-sovereign which he could see intrigued her acutely he now owned the box it was not a box of colours but a box of enchantment he had had colour boxes before but nothing to compare with this nothing that could have seemed magical to anybody wiser than a very small boy then he bought some cartridge paper he considered that cartridge paper would be good enough for preliminary experiments part five it was while he was paying for the cartridge paper he being as was indeed proper on the customer's side of the counter 
that a heavy loutish boy in an apron entered the shop blushing. Edwin turned away. This was Miss Ingamel's affair. "'If you please, Mr. Peake sent me. He cannot come in this afternoon. He's got a bit of ratting on. And will Mr. Clayhanger step across to the dragon tonight after eight with that there peeper? Paper. As he knows on?' At the name of Peake, Edwin started. He had utterly forgotten the matter. "'Master Edwin,' said Miss Ingamels dryly, "'you know all about that, don't you?' Clearly she resented that he knew all about that while she didn't. "'Oh, yes,' Edwin stammered. "'What did you say?' "'It was his first piece of real business.' "'If you please, Mr. Peake sent me,' the messenger blundered through his message again, word for word. "'Very well, I'll attend to it,' said Edwin, as nonchalantly as he could. Nevertheless, he was at a loss what to do, simple, though the situation might have seemed to a person with an experience of business longer than Edwin's. Just as three hours previously his father had appeared to be bracing all his intellect to a problem that struck Edwin as entirely simple— so now edwin seemed to be bracing all his intellect to another aspect of the same problem time revenging his father what go across to the dragon and in cold blood demand mr enoch peake and then parley with mr enoch peake as one man with another he had never been inside the dragon he had been brought up in the belief that the dragon was a place of sin the dragon was included in the generic term gin palace and quite probably in the siamese twin term gaming saloon moreover to discuss business with mr enoch peake mr enoch peake was as mysterious to edwin as say a chinese mandarin still business was business and something would have to be done he did not know what ought he to go to the dragon his father had not foreseen the possibility of this development. He instantly decided one fundamental. He would not consult Miss Ingamels. No, nor even Maggie. There remained only Big James. He went across to see Big James, who was calmly smoking a pipe on the little landing at the top of the steps leading to the printing office. Big James showed no astonishment. "'You come along o' me to the dragon tonight, young sir, at eight o'clock, or as soon after as makes no matter, and I'll see as you see Mr. Enoch Peake. I shall be coming up Woodison Bank at eight o'clock, or as soon after as makes no matter. You be waiting for me at the back gates there, and I'll see as you see Mr. Enoch Peake. "'Are you going to the dragon?' "'Am I going to the dragon, young sir?' exclaimed Big James in his majestic voice. End of chapter 8, volume 1